This morning, I thought we would take a look at that great but difficult chapter 24 of Matthew, which, as you probably know, is also found in Luke and Mark. It's not generally thought of as being a comforting read, but we live in times of great anxiety, both internationally and also here in our beloved country of Britain. And this chapter helps us to reassure ourselves that the future is not at the disposal of earthly powers, nor of any pandemic, but is safely in God's hands. Let's set the scene. At the end of Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is surveying the city of Jerusalem. He's on a high place and he's looking over the city. And he's sad. In fact, he's bitterly sad. He laments over it, saying how he longed to gather its people to him as a mother hen gathers her chicks. But they've rejected him. The disciples, as I think we might have done, the disciples seem to think that Jesus is being a bit too gloomy, a bit too pessimistic, perhaps. And they tried to show him that things weren't that bad. Look at this beautiful temple. Temple that was being raised after all for the glory of God. Look at it, and admittedly, we read that it was one of the wonders of the ancient world. With its massive blocks of marble and its nine gates overlaid with gold, even though it was still incomplete after almost 50 years. But Jesus looks on the temple with great sadness in his heart and said, I'm sorry, it's all going to be destroyed. The disciples are shocked. They're puzzled. Is there going to be a war? Tell us more about it. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to cause this magnificent temple to be destroyed? Jesus said, yes, there is a war coming. It's going to bring terrible suffering. People standing here today are going to suffer. And we know that that prediction was true. In AD 66, the Jews rebelled against their Roman overlords and their rebellion was put down most cruelly with immense suffering. And thousands upon thousands of Jews were slaughtered and the city was destroyed. Yes, there is a terrible war coming, said Jesus. There are going to be lots more. It won't be the end. There's going to be lots more wars, rebellions, insurrections, civil wars. And not only that, there are going to be famines. This world won't share out its food equally and fairly. There's going to be people starving. There's going to be earthquakes. Natural disasters. They're going to be false prophets. You're not going to have an easy ride as my friends, as my followers. There's going to be people who come along and preach other doctrines. False doctrines, false ways of salvation. Wonderful new religions, weird and wonderful. And some even will claim to be me. Gullible people are going to join them in their thousands. And I'm sorry to say, said Jesus, looking around at those 
frightened men gathered around him. I'm sorry to say it's not going to be easy for you to be my followers. You think it's difficult now, it's going to get worse. My followers are going to be hated and some will have to lay down their lives for my sake. So keep your feet on the ground because the going will be tough. Many won't be able to take it and there are many, many who will give up their faith. Looking back now from our vantage point of 2020, we might say that Jesus was a realist. All these things have happened, haven't they? All those things have happened and many more. Jesus wasn't alone, of course, in having a bleak view of the future of the human race. Secular philosophers were also predicting Heraclitus some 500 years before Christ said war and strife between opposites is the eternal condition of the universe. Let's face it, this morning in 2020, facing new restrictions on our freedom to worship, new restrictions on our fellowship and friendship with family, it's not difficult to be a pessimist, is it? But I'm sure that Jesus said all those bleak predictions with intense sadness in his heart. All of those things he was predicting involve human suffering. The terrible toll that war takes on innocent people, not to mention all those soldiers who die in combat, civilians dying, collateral damage, people called it. On our TV screens this weekend, we see the terrible suffering caused by earthquakes. The sufferings of innocent people buried under tons of rubble. And we are aware, we are constantly reminded of the terrible injuries, imprisonment, bereavement inflicted upon God's people by persecution. Those who are suffering to this day, even as we speak here this morning, People are suffering, laying down their lives for Jesus Christ. No wonder Jesus was in sombre mood as he looked down over the city and thought of the vanity of this beautiful building, which was, after all, only a building. And I find myself, as I reflect on 2,000 years of so much suffering, I find myself echoing the words of the hymn, Melt my cold heart, let tears fall like rain. And yet, in the sombre and realistic vision of the future brought to us by this passage, there is a bright and shining hope. Like a brilliant shaft of sunlight after one of those dark thunderstorms we've been having. All this scenario of disaster, cruelty, suffering, deceit, apostatizing, all this talk was an incomplete picture because there is unfinished business that Jesus has to do. Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah. Do you believe that? Jesus is going to return to this earth. The future of this earth is in God's hands. He's coming back to 
to complete the work he started. Now in this cynical age we live in, people might say with a laugh, oh, just wishful thinking, just whistling in the dark. No way. Jesus' return to this earth is one of the most solidly based of all Christian doctrines. Its origins are in the Old Testament prophecies of the reign of God's king, God's righteous king, of a transformed earth, of universal peace and blessing. You can find them in the beautiful poetry of the Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Daniel. Prophecies that were only partially completed or fulfilled only partially fulfilled by the coming of Jesus. There are lots and lots and lots of Old Testament prophecies still awaiting their fulfilment. And it's confirmed by more than 250 references in the New Testament to Christ's coming again, to his revealing, to his appearing. There are more references in the New Testament to the second coming of Christ than there are to justification by faith. It's that solidly attested there in the scriptures. And it's been part of mainstream Christian teaching throughout 2,000 years. It's mentioned in the Apostles' Creed in the 39 articles in all confessions of faith. So I ask myself and I ask all of you listening or watching, why are we so reluctant to talk about it? Has it been cancelled? Has God sent a message to Pope Francis and Justin Welby to say, sorry, second coming's been cancelled, tell your people to stop believing in it? Has the Prime Minister cancelled it? saying it can't take place because it would involve too many people gathering together? No. I think we're afraid. Afraid of being thought fanatics. Weirdos. Wild-eyed prophets of doom. Waving placards saying the end is nigh. Christ is coming next Thursday afternoon. Let's go up the top of a mountain and greet him. All well-meaning people, of course. Yet disobeying the scriptures when Jesus says in this very chapter, even the Son of Man doesn't know when that day and hour will come. Yes, the King is coming. Hallelujah. Why is he coming? Well, just briefly. He's coming to complete the work of salvation that has begun in us. I don't know about you, sometimes, many, many times, I am painfully aware that I am a work in progress. I strive towards perfection, as we all do, but I never get there. We yearn with Charles Wesley, finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless, let us be. And we yearn and we strive, but we don't get there. There's a completion to be done. Jesus has got to finish his new creation. Secondly, he's coming to judge this world. Several of the Old Testament Psalms wax 
eloquent about the whole creation skipping, dancing, and skipping, and singing. Clapping their hands because the Lord is coming to judge the world. Judgment, Mike, why should we rejoice over judgment? It sounds a scary subject to me. I can tell you, it wouldn't sound a scary subject to us if you were a Christian languishing in jail in Eritrea on a false trumped-up charge. It wouldn't seem scary if you were among the starving people in so many parts of the world whose rulers are stuffing their Swiss bank accounts with all the wealth of their country. Judgment is good news for a world which has seen so much injustice. Judgment is a good news where the innocent suffer, where good people are thrown in jail, where women are widowed because their husbands dare to preach the gospel, where bloodshed seems so often to be the rule of life, and the tyrants go unpunished. Jesus is coming to bring judgment, to put things right, to repay those who have downtrodden innocent people. And he's coming to establish God's rule. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, says Isaiah, and it's coming. He's coming. The king is coming. Things are going to be put right. Joy is going to replace sorrow. Worship is going to replace misery. Look, my dear friends, I believe in the second coming, even though there are lots of questions that I can't answer. God hasn't given us all the details. But I believe in the second coming because it instills hope in my heart. It enables me to hold my head up high. He's coming back. Remember what Jesus said? This is in the parallel passage in Luke 21. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is growing near. And what about the aged Apostle John after a lifetime of preaching the good news of Jesus, of teaching the stories of Jesus? What does he say? He says, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And the second coming of Christ, this sure and certain event which one day is going to happen, is an incentive for us to share the good news because the worldwide spread of the gospel is going to herald his coming again. A weary world, a downtrodden, innocent, suffering people are waiting to hear good news. Who's going to tell them? <laughs>